The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. Good evening. Uh, my name's David. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. This is Brandon Schmidt. He is who you came here to hear because he is a licensed counselor and therapist, and he's very good at his job. Um, and tonight, we're going to be looking at tackling and defining and kind of looking at the behind the scenes of what fear, anxiety, and insecurity are, how they work in our lives, how to overcome them, kind of the varying degrees of them. Um, as I was looking at uh, fear and anxiety and insecurity as I was studying for this class, um, I came across this word disorder a lot, like they're, they're called disorders, um, which distinguishes them from other issues that we have to walk through as believers. Um, other issues have to do with our character, you know, like um, anger or um, bitterness or um, lust and things of those nature. Those are things that influence our character. These things are disorders, which what a disorder is, is it, it's a thing that causes confusion. It's a thing in which you can't, you don't order things in your life the right way. You don't see things the right way. They take place in the mind. Fear, anxiety, and insecurity all take place in the mind. And so there may be stressors in your life that contribute to that, things and, and pressures in your life that may um, reveal that you may be dealing with one of those issues. But the stressors and the outside pressures are just that. Like if you're feeling anxiety and fear and insecurity pop up, the issue is not what's happening to you, but the issue is what takes place in here. Um, Pastor Josh says this a lot when when we're working with um, and counseling with people and, and helping people. He says that the issue is rarely the issue, which means this is that usually what we're trying to fight against and what we're trying to overcome, maybe it's a, a relationship dynamic or maybe it's um, something in our workplace. A lot of times we look at those situations and those circumstances and we think that that's the problem. But actually, there might be something deep-seated within us, a disorder, a way that we just don't see things clearly the way that, that God has created us to see them, and we're not functioning the way that God's created us to function. So tonight, what we want to do is we want to help bring clarity. We want to bring light to it. We want to um, define it. I think defining things are very important. The Word says that Jesus is the name above every name, which means that when you come against something, you need to be able to name it. It's kind of hard to fight something that you don't know what it is, Right? But if you can name it, then you can identify it and you can identify how you can um, align yourself with the word and align yourself with what, what professionals have discovered about our brain and how it works to be able to use the tools um, that God's given to us through wisdom to be able to overcome these things. So I just want to start by defining some of these things. So if you're taking notes, which you should be, write this down. Um, fear, let's start with that. Fear is the intense and unpleasant disruption of emotions caused by the presence or perception of danger. Um, fear causes us to flee. And I think a lot of these things, fear, anxiety, insecurity, we can kind of lump them together, but it's important to kind of distinguish them because as we'll see tonight, they, they, they contribute to each other, but they also are very separate. And so fear causes us to flee. So there's, there's good fears and there's bad fears, okay? So I'm going to have a confession tonight. Um, I am, have a pretty good fear of bears in the wild. If I'm on a hike, which I'll never be because I think hiking is dumb, but if I was on a hike and I see a bear, I'm going to be afraid. 
And that's like a good fear. Like I'm going to turn and flee because that fair that that bear could cause damage to me. There's good fears and there's bad fears. All right. Um, so anxiety. Let's move on to anxiety. Anxiety. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Fear is the intense and unpleasant disruption of emotions caused by the presence or perception of danger. And then the the identifier again. All right. Fear is the intense and unpleasant disruption, intense and unpleasant disruption of emotions caused by the presence or perception of danger, the presence or perception of danger. And the, and the little identifier that, that I, I put underneath in my notes was fear causes us to flee. Fear's reaction is not to to crumple up fear's reaction is to go, I got to get out of here. We'd be afraid of being rejected in a relationship, and so we hit the eject button and we head out. Um, we can be afraid of a bear in the forest, and we're going to run away. Fear causes us to flee, okay? Everyone good with that? You need me to say it again? No, oh, I was being serious. I wasn't being, yeah. <laughs> Anxiety is the second definition. Anxiety is the state of apprehension uncertainty, and fear. So anxiety is the state of apprehension, uncertainty, and fear resulting from the, and here's the distinguishing, resulting from the anticipation of a realistic or fantasized threatening event or situation. I'll say it again. (laughs) Anxiety, uh, I'll, I'll simplify it. Anxiety is when you think there's something to be afraid of. Is that better? Yeah. My boss is in the back taking notes. Uh, anxiety is, is the, is the um, yeah, when you think there's something to be afraid of, is our reaction whenever we think there might be something. We might not be able to identify it. Um, an example would be if you're walking down a dark alley at night. Like, there's a li- you should have a little bit of anxiety. And just like with fear... Um, there's good anxieties and there's bad anxieties. Okay, so, you know, walking down a dark alley in the middle of the night, you should be kind of, your nerves should be on end. You should be like listening and thinking, okay, there could be something that, that, that could harm me here. Or another example of a good anxiety would be um, when Kaylee and I went to buy our first house, as we were walking through that process, there was a little bit of anxiety of, okay, do we have enough money to do this? Like, is this a wise decision? It's the what if. I don't know what could happen. I don't know what this looks like. So I'm going to pause and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take inventory. I'm going to count the cost. The difference between good anxiety and bad anxiety, and I know that's kind of a weird thing to say, good anxiety, but um, good, the difference between good anxiety and bad anxiety is good anxiety causes you to pause and then you can discover the truth. Bad anxiety there's no, it doesn't matter what you discover. You're still crippled by it. Like you don't, you don't, you don't get any freedom from it or relief from it. Um, so there's good anxiety and there's bad anxiety. And then the last one, um, insecurity. Insecurity, this one's short, is the uncertainty or anxiety about oneself. It's the uncertainty or anxiety about oneself. Um, very simply put, it's a lack of confidence, a feeling of not enough. Um, we can be in, insecure about a lot of things, appearances, skill sets, um, projects we're working on, um, things we're working on within ourselves, um, who you are to other people, you know, your 
if people love you, like if, if they really love you, these are all things that we can be insecure about. Um, insecurity will identify itself when it's exposed. So um, let's take the physical for an example. Um, if you went to a pool party and you weren't, and you were kind of insecure about the way that you looked, if you're wrapped up in insecurity, what that looks like is okay. I don't like how I look, so I know that other people are going to reject me by how I look. They're going to think badly of me as well. And so instead of um, instead of being able to swim with everybody else, you know, wearing a modest swimsuit that that complements your body, all those things, I'm just not going to swim at all. I'm actually not going to the party at all. I'm going to miss out. When you realize your value to your friends is actually just in who you are as a person, then yeah, you know, I, I don't have a six pack. I might not just be walking around with my shirt off. But when it's time to swim, I might take that shirt off real quickly and jump in the pool <laughs> before anyone gets a good look. You, and, and what I'm trying to get you to see is, is, there, is there's a, a spectrum here, you know? Like you should have like some self-awareness about yourself just in life. Like you should know, okay, maybe um, maybe this is something that I need some work on, you know, or maybe this is an area that I don't need to be showing everybody yet because it's it's not fully developed yet. Like those are good things. I'm not just talking about my six pack. I don't think, I'm, uh, the closer I get to 30, I think that that's a pipe dream, okay? Um, <laughs> um, uh, and interestingly enough, I think that that insecurity is really just the the other side of the coin of pride. Pride and insecurity go hand in hand. Um, uh, so you, you hold yourself to a standard of perfection. Like when, when, when you're not confident in yourself, um, when you're dealing with insecurity and you're dealing with pride, what it is is like, okay, I feel like I should be here. Whether that's how I look, I should look like the people on TV, whether that is um, how I sing, whether that is um, how, how, how much money I have, all those things. I feel like I should be up here. And so when we um, come into a situation where it's revealed that I actually am not meeting my standard, my impossible standard that I put up here, then, it, then what happens is we become insecure. Or when we meet that standard, then we become puffed up. Or when we think we've met that standard, we become puffed up and we become proud. The middle ground where we should be living is confidence. Because what confidence says, I'll give you an example for me. If I'm leading a worship set and um, uh, I sing a really bad note, you know, my voice cracks like back in the junior high days, everybody hears it. If I'm insecure, if I'm going, okay, um, this is shaking me as an individual now because maybe I'm not as good as I thought I was. Like maybe I'm not good at all. And the, these are the questions that come to mind. What's going to happen is I'm going to come off the platform and I'm going to do a couple of things. One, I'm going to either I'm going to go hide. So it's like, okay, I don't want anyone to see me. I don't want anyone to talk to me. Um, or I'm going to start going to other people like looking to validate me going, Hey, that wasn't as bad as I thought it was. Right. Like, did you saw that? Like, it was still great, right? Like, all, all these things we do to kind of validate ourselves to kind of heal our wound of insecurity. Or, flip side, I, we do a set on Sunday, and I kill it. I got, we, we do a great job. I sing the best I've ever sang, and I come off platform. I'm operating in pride. Then I go, I am as good as I thought I was. What confidence does is, if I'm confident, then if a mistake happens, it's an opportunity for me to grow and learn because I'm actually getting a realistic perspective of where my gift is at. 
So when you're confident, you know my value isn't wrapped up in my performance. Actually, I'm doing what God has called me to do. I'm, I'm doing the things in which God has called me to do, and he's equipped me to do those things. And so I'm going to be confident in that. I'm going to be confident in God's plan for my life. I'm going to be confident in, in my value in, in Christ and who God says that I am. And if I mess up, I mess up, and this is an opportunity to learn. If I do good, then it's like, okay, whatever I did to prepare to get to that same place, I'm going to do that again. So you see how the the, health, the healthiness comes in that. So it's important to define these things because if we can name it, then we can overcome it. You can't fight an enemy you can't see. You can't fight an enemy that, that you don't really know what it is. And I think what we do a lot of times as believers is we just try to throw um, we just try to throw verses at it, or we, what we do is we we just go, okay, I'm just not feeling good. I should just be feeling fine. And we like kind of slap ourselves around and go, hey, come on, toughen up. It's important to identify these things so we can get to the root of what they are so then we can start functioning the way that God has called us to function. And a lot of that is a realization that although there are spiritual aspects of this, God has created you with a mind that works in an incredible way. And so that's why Mr. Brandon is here tonight to elaborate on that a little bit. And I know the uh, microphones, you like to pass around the COVID ones? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, that was, that's right. That's good. You got the antivirus. No, and one, I think one of the things that it's fair to kind of point out too is that um, when we look at these symptoms, um, or at least these uh, disorders, is they really come and stem from a place of like safety and security lost. Um, so when safety and security is lost, it can come out as fear, anxiety, and insecurities. Um, and so we're going to talk about later on kind of what can happen as far as how do we feel safe again? How do we restore security? Um, it's something that um, can be done on your own. It's hard to do on your own, but it is also one that, you know, if you can come together, especially either with believers or, you know, people within your life that can help um, you along that process, um, then it can even help to not just build it back up, to, but to concrete it, to solidify it, and to make it even stronger. Um, and so we'll come back and kind of loop back to that as well. Um, frankly, I think these uh, definitions were uh, amazing, and whoever gave them, to, I mean, you came up with it, right? No. The, I gave you more of a clinical broad type of thing, and so I will take that on me. That's the reason you guys got such a long definition. That's not on David at all. Um, but I am Brandon Schmidt. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, um, and then also an approved supervisor through the state of Oklahoma. Um, and I am uh, certified in parent-child interaction therapy, I'm also a, a trainer in it as well. Um, and I am certified in EMDR and what we call EFT. And so EMDR basically just uh, stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Um, and then EFT is emotional freedom technique. And so we're going to talk about some EFT and some EMDR um, while we talk tonight, because I'm going to kind of give you guys um, some of the kind of neuroscience and neurobiology um, that kind of is very much expounded on when we talk about EMDR. Um, but um, also, too, we're going to do an actual technique from emotional freedom technique. Um, so this is one that you guys can be able to take home with you and to be able to utilize. So you don't have to have all this theological, or I mean, not theological, but psychological background in order to use it. Um, and so we're going to use that uh, here together. 
Um, and so um, I have been uh, practicing um, as a mental health professional for 14, almost 15 uh, years and um, actually been in my private practice uh, for about seven or eight years. I'm a clinical member at Transforming Life Counseling Center um, and we even have some of our people here tonight. I said Chick-fil-A and free CEU, so they went ahead and signed up and came. <laughs> It's not because of me at all, um, but I am happy to have you guys. Um, and so, but one of the things when I think about um, our my private practice is just the fact of, because the way that transforming life works is that we are all in our own private practice, except if you're an intern or you're a candidate, um, but um, we work together as a group. So no matter who comes through the door, um, we have somebody either with your specialty or um, that takes your insurance or something like that. So we can always find something. But one of the things that I have definitely seen over the year, or just really since 2020, is a huge uptick um, in um, anxiety and fear and stress and insecurity. Because if you think about that, you know, when kind of COVID hit and everybody was shooed back to their homes and said, don't breathe and don't come out of your homes and, you know, just don't live that life. What that did is it sent a shockwave of insecurity and safety and, and, insecure, and insecurity lost during that time. Um, and so everybody was kind of shaken, like this safe little environment that we had um, that was rocked and shattered. Um, and so I have definitely seen that, you know, as far as in my own private practice, more and more people coming in with more stress, anxiety, fears, insecurities. Um, and I have to take it all back to the fact that in a fundamental way, safety and security was lost during that time. Um, and so we're going to, again, we're going to talk about how do we re-instill that back into people's lives and into our own lives. Um, and so... Um, when we, and I always feel like, especially when I have an audience, I want to kind of share a little bit too of um, kind of my testimony in a way, um, especially when it comes to um, just kind of the building of my private practice as well. Um, see, we've been a part of New Song since the way back beginning. I mean, we went to interest meetings back at the Holiday Inn, conference rooms, yeah. you know, the corner bakery for lunch. Um, so we've been here for a while. Um, my wife serves in the nursery. She loves to love, uh, love on babies. That's her, the beautiful one here in the middle. Um, yeah. <laughs> I pointed here. Um, but, um, and then I am, uh, I'm the head of kind of the coffee team. Um, there is no coffee team people here, so they don't get their shout out. No. Um, Jehovah Java, anyone? Um, if you don't go to New Song, you don't get that. That's the whole thing. But um, we have, um, you know, absolutely, I feel like our family has thrived um, when we finally decided to just be planted at New Song um, underneath Josh's and Sarah's leadership. And it is an excitement for me to be up here with you. I mean, it is. Like, I love you. Like, you pour into our boys. Like... You and your family, like, dude, this is like an, an honor for me. So when Courtney said it, it was an automatic yes. But what she didn't know is that part of our fast was for more opportunities like this. And so when it happened, it was just like, yes, absolutely. Um, and so 
because this is this is part of my passion. Um, I was when I went to uh, my degree is actually from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. You AG and Pentecostal people, don't judge me. You know, yes, it is Southern Baptist. Um, we're here, right? You know, um, but um, I mean, even even through that, I mean, it's it's been you know one of those things where. Um, even coming out of uh, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, um, that I was a youth minister prior to that, loved doing conferences, loved doing, you know, evangelistic type, you know, work or, you know, speaking and things like that. Um, but then when you become a counselor, it's either you get invited to do something or you just kind of sit in an office. And so, you know, it is a, a an honor for me to be up here. Um, but um, when we were when we th- were thinking about a private practice, and this kind of comes and loops in too with kind of fears, anxieties, and insecurities, um, because I was leaving a place where I was a clinical director at. There was safety and security, though we thought during that time, but yet, you know, through um, just some not so great, you know, uh, decisions from uh, you know that organization, uh, it was like it's time for us to leave. I mean, the writing was on the wall. You know, we were just like, this is not home to us anymore. Um, And so, um, like the frantic person I get sometimes when, you know, there is any kind of uh, attack to our finances and our stability, like I threw out so many uh, resumes. I mean, I was just like, just please somebody call me back. Like, I don't care who you are. I will say yes to you. So I put out probably 20, and it was amazing um, because we probably, I got maybe 30 calls back, and I'm like, how do you even know me? Like, what are you talking about? There was one place that um, had asked me to come and, you know, have an an interview, and so I went in to, you know, become, hopefully become a therapist there, and then they said, hey, we want you to come back. We want to look at you as possibly our clinical director. I was like, sweet, and then they called us called me back again after that, and they said, how about a regional director? And I'm like, all right, thank you, God. <laughs> you know, like, this is starting to look up for me. But yet, like, so here's these opportunities where, you know, we had safety, we had security, we had guarantees, and this was before um, New Song, and so we were, you know, going to Life Church at the time, so don't stone me again. But, like, we were going, and I remember Pastor Craig talking at that time about we as Christians need to be bet the farm risk takers. That in our Christian walk, there's no guarantees. And I mean, here we were with all these resumes that and interviews that I had had and these offers and guarantees. And, you know, we had 401ks that were being offered and insurance and, you know, all of this stuff. And I get out to the car and as I often do, I looked at Laura and I said, well, what'd you think? A little bit of hesitation in my voice at that time. And she goes, well, I guess you're starting your own private practice. And I was just like, yeah, that's what I heard too. (laughs) Because in your own private practice, there's no guarantee. There's no 401k. There is no insurance. Sorry, interns. But (laughs) but, thankfully, and it was a a godsend, you know, that we were, uh, we were, directed to be a part of Transforming Life Counseling Center. Because you guys already know, probably being just a part of it for some weeks and some months and, you know, everything else is this the fact that, man, 
we, we take care of each other. We love each other. And God never stops with the blessings of referrals. And now, and then, I mean, this is just a testament just to not only our leadership at Transforming Life, but, you know, to the work that's being done there. We stay full. I don't think, I think a month within me being there, and this is, this is for you interns too, because within a month of me being there, I was already full. Within three months later, I had a full-time office. I mean, that's, but the thing was, though, is that I remember when I, when I decided to work there, and I went, and within a five-mile radius around a Transforming Life, I scattered all of my business cards, and I went to every business. I went to every, you know, place, just shaking hands, trying to make a referral. And still to this day, I have not had one referral within that five-mile radius because God chose to bless outside. And I mean, still to this day, I can absolutely say that 100% of the blessing that comes from our private practice is from God. And I think he did that on purpose. He wanted, he wanted us to know specifically, he's blessing our household, not anybody else. And, you know, so from that day on, I mean, it was a huge blessing to even to this day, we have a group me and you frequently see on there, like I'm saying full, full, like each week we're asked like, you know, do you have any openings? We got some referrals coming in. I'm like, sorry, full. And it pains me sometimes because I want to help as many people as possible. But when we're full, like we just can't take anymore, you know, but yet, you know, that was just a, a, a testimony, I feel like, you know, of just how God has chosen to work within our family and to bless us and the work that we're doing. You know, I went from loving on kids as a youth minister, uh, but them coming in with so many different problems. Jackson, you know this, like divorce. I mean, that was kind of, for me, my eye-opening experience was with cutting and, you know, just, just the pain. And I was just like, how do I help them? Like, I feel ill-equipped to be able to help them, you know? And so I, I went into uh, kind of the counseling field with that perspective, like, I want to help as many people as possible. Um, and so with my, my, my specialties, I'm able to help um, kids that are as young as one and a half you know, all the way up into senior adult. You know, I work with families. I work with sexual addiction. I work with um, couples. And so there's a wide variety there that I've been able to see. But I will definitely say that fear and anxiety and insecurities has been a boom as far as what I have seen as problems people coming in. People that maybe that wasn't even their reason for coming in in the very beginning. And then they started coming in and saying, now I'm dealing with this. And I get it. And we'll talk a little bit too of what happens when safety and security is lost and how that affects. Um, when we were, at, we, we met at uh, Black Rifle, which usually my go-to is coffee jerks, but we just, uh, decided David hadn't been there yet. So we're going to go to Black Rifle. And we're going to check it out. Um, and so we were sitting there and I said, exactly how deep do we want to go with this, David? Like, do we just, do I just want to kind of, do we just want to kind of share a kind of a broad kind of picture? And so I, and he was like, well, tell me a little bit of kind of what you're thinking. I said, well, we could go in kind of to the neuroscience, kind of neurobiology part of things. And he was like, well, what does that kind of, kind of look like? What does that kind of sound like? And so I started telling him, he goes, yes, 
every bit of that we're going to do. And so if this is a little bit too nerdy for you, like us psychology guys, like we are like all over the neuroscience of stuff. Um, so hopefully you guys can tune in because I really want us to know what the mind, what our brains go through, what our body go through, goes through when there are high levels of fear, anxiety, and insecurity because it riddles our body. Um, and we're going to be able to see that as well. And so our body routinely uh, manages new information and experiences without us being aware of it. Um, however, when something out of the ordinary occurs and you are traumatized by an overwhelming event, let's say like a car accident, um, or by being repeatedly subjected to distress, let's say um, childhood neglect, your body um, and the natural coping mechanisms that you have can be overloaded. Um, it just doesn't feel as if we can deal with the certain, the current circumstances we're in because we're just so overloaded at that point. This overloading can result in disturbing um, experiences remaining frozen in your brain or being unprocessed. So that's that part of kind of EMDR. The R part is the reprocessing nature. Because what we seek to do in EMDR is to take those frozen traumatic experiences um, that are locked in a network system within our brain and to make them not just what we consider to be um, a raw form of information, but we want to take it and make it a story form. But that means that we have to move it out of one frozen network of the brain and bring it into... Um, a different part of the, the brain that is allowing us to then process this information uh, through language and story mode. Um, and so, um, like this, such, uh, such unprocessed memories, you know, are stored in um, the limbic system of the brain. Um, and this is where it remains raw, and we want to move it. And so the limbic system maintains traumatic memories um, in an isolated memory network that is associated with emotions and physical sensations, which are disconnected from the brain's cortex, uh, where we use language to store memories. The limbic system's traumatic memories can be continually triggered when you experience events similar to the difficult experiences um, you have been through. And so, of course, when we talk about this, we're, we're kind of talking a, about a wide variety. So there's fear. You know, if I go walking down a dark alley, I'm going to feel fear. We kind of talked about that in the, in the kind of the definition of it. Um, and some of that is good. Like, I need to be kind of aware of my surroundings. We, in our family, we say, keep your head on a swivel, you know, because we want to know if there's anything that could harm us. Um, but then we can be talking about, you know, in counseling, we call it, big uh, little T's and big T's. You know, there's little traumas and there's big traumas. There's little fears and then there's big fears. There's little anxieties and then there's big anxieties. And so as we're talking about this, we're talking about that whole wide range um, of um, those symptoms, those disorders. Um, and so, you know, often the memory itself um, is long forgotten. Sadly for some, it's a continual daily 
uh, reminder of what's going on inside the brain. But sometimes those memories are completely forgotten. But the pain, the painful feelings such as anxiety, panic, anger, or despair are continually triggered in the present. Your ability to live in the present and learn from new experiences can therefore become disrupted. So trauma therapies like EMDR or EFT, um, they seek to basically reconnect or create new connections between the brain's memory network um, and enabling your brain to process traumatic memories. Um, so that's basically kind of what our brain is going through. We want, especially um, in counseling, but also too on an individual level, we want to take where that fear, that anxiety, that insecurity is, and it's frozen inside the brain and that memory network, and we want to then move it to where it can actually be dealt with. But this takes some time, this takes some effort, it takes steps in order to get it there. Um, and so I think it's fair to basically say that we have to remember that we as Christians, we are still, even though we have the spirit within inside of us, we are still living inside a broken body, you know, a fleshly body. And so for us, we're trying to align it in the right way, the way it was intended to be. But because of our sin nature, because of the fall of man from, since the beginning of, uh, of time, you know, in the Garden of Eden, we basically see that we now live inside of a fallen body. And even though we have the Spirit of God inside of us, we're trying to align it. We're trying to get them. But that's the thing, is that when we talk about this, we're going to talk about the spiritual nature of things because we have to, because ultimately that's where we draw our strength. But what do we do with the flesh, the body, that is not aligning itself with the spirit? And so that's partly why we talk about, you know, what's going on neurologically, why we can't take some of these fears, anxieties, and insecurities and just deal with them. How many times have you heard that? You know, like, haven't you been going through that a long time? Can't you just deal with it? Can't you just move on? It's not that big of a deal. Man, that happened so long ago. Obviously, <laughs> these people are not understanding what especially trauma does, you know, but also too, you know, neurologically, what's going on inside the brain. And so when we think about the brain, now we've got to kind of talk about the body. And so from the very top of your head to the very tip of your toes is our nervous system. And our nervous system is what sends and receives information. You know, it's made up of 86 billion neurons that are connected to 1,000 other neurons. And these neurons connect to send that information. So for example, if I have a pot of boiling water and I decide to put my hand inside that pot of boiling water. It is your nervous system that then sends the message from your hand all the way up to your brain that says, ouch, that hurts. And then it's your brain that then sends through the nervous system that message that says, well, get your hand out of there. Thankfully, God has made us in a way that it doesn't take as long for that message <laughs> to go back and forth as it did my explanation, right? Um, and so, um, but this is kind of what 
is kind of going on inside of us. And so if we think about this, the, the, the nervous system is separated into two separate um, systems. So we have the sympathetic nervous system and then we have the parasympathetic nervous system. The sympathetic nervous system is considered your stress response. This is that, you know, kind of where the fight or flight um, um, trauma reaction comes from. Um, and so when we think about this fight or flight um, uh, trauma reaction, um, the cortical areas of our brain and our, um, allow us for information regulation, logical monitoring of conflict, and correct pain expectancy. So when the cortical areas of the brain are deactivated by trauma, or they become too overstimulated, they shut down that part of our brain, and we're not able to react in what people might consider to be appropriate ways. You know, and so this is kind of what happens within, within the brain when things overstimulate it. If we stay in a high state of anxiety for too long, it gets overwhelmed and shuts down. So think of it kind of like a breaker within a house. You know, if I plug too many things into an outlet, that outlet's gonna become overloaded at some point and shut down. The breaker's gonna flip, flip, flip off. And so this is basically what has happened inside the brain when uh, the, the uh, sympathetic nervous system gets too overloaded. Well, you have the, then the parasympathetic nervous system. And the parasympathetic nervous system, that is you know, kind of considered our uh, relaxation response. You know, that is where um, we find a way to kind of regulate what we're feeling. Um, it is the part of the brain um, that is opposite of that stress response. Um, and it is characterized by low blood pressure, uh, low heart rate, uh, slowed breathing, and other forms of relaxation. This is meant to be our homeostasis, or the um, state in which our body is normally. Uh, for high-stress people, that homeostasis is a little bit, you know, kind of, already high, um, but even though this is kind of the calmer part of the nervous system, it also has its own, uh, its own traumatic uh, responses. You know, so where we have the, the sympathetic nervous system that has our, um, our fight and flight response, well then we have our parasympathetic, parasympathetic nervous system that has are freeze or fawn response. You know, so when somebody faints at the sight of blood, well, that doesn't mean that their sympathetic nervous system has been overloaded. This basically means that, you know, their parasympathetic nervous system has become, you know, kind of underwhelmed at that point, and so they faint. Uh, fawn might be something that you're not necessarily familiar with. Um, this is um, a trauma reaction that, where basically the abuse becomes um, sympathetic towards the abuser. You know, they try to appease uh, their abuser at that point. Uh, so they don't fight, they don't flight, they don't freeze when they come in. It's what can I do to get you to not hurt me right now? Um, and so that comes from that parasympathetic um, nervous system. Can you give us some like practical lower T uh, examples of that? Um, 
I, I mean, the, the feigning of blood would be kind of a lower, you know, T um, kind of, oh, the, uh, the fawning part. Um, really and truly, I, it's just when we try to uh, placate something so it doesn't have that effect on us. Um, so it doesn't necessarily have to be an abuser. You know, it is, um, you know, something to the effect of maybe, um, you know, I, I do these, these type of steps so I don't experience that. Because remember, when we talk about, um, you know, trauma especially, it also comes in line with the expectancy of something bad to happen. You know, it doesn't have to actually happen. It's the fear of it. But oftentimes that's linked back to the fact that there was a real life experience that hurt me. And now there's emotions attached, attached to that. So anytime I might be experiencing, you know, hurt or pain, it triggers me back to that point. But then also, too, when this thing is coming, whatever this is, you know, whether it's a fantasy, you know, that we kind of have made up in our head of what could possibly happen, we have the worst case scenario is what, you know, plays inside of our head. Um, and so to kind of, to kind of look at this at a, at, a, at a different angle, we have the right side of the brain and we have the left side of the brain. The right side of the brain is your more logical side of the brain. Um, and then you've got, you know, that has, um, that's able to kind of reason through things. Um, and then you've got the left side of the brain that that's our more emotional side of, of the brain. And so what happens is, is that when either trauma happens or, you know, high times of, of insecurity or, or fear or anxiety, um, what happens is that one side of the brain kind of almost envelops the other side, you know, like it kind of overtakes. So I might uh, be in a, in a fearful type situation, but to sit there and to logically look at it and kind of go, but I am still safe. I am, I am okay. Like I have things at my disposal that I can utilize. I could call out for help. I can, that help me to kind of maintain a safe place within myself. Um, but when that's not there, the other side kicks into high gear and says, you're all going to die. You know, like everything in here is doomed. You know, like that's how it feels when this anxiety gets too high. And it seems like that right side of the brain kind of gets smaller. And so within trauma work, what that kind of looks like is that there, there seems to be like a barrier between the right and left side of the brain. They're not able to communicate because what we want is that homeostasis, right? We want that, that part of the brain that is able to communicate the right side with the left side of the brain, and they're able to keep each other balanced. But yet, when that overactive or that, um, we call it an arousal state, you know, so where we feel as if we have been in that heightened sense of anxiety for really long, um, that within and of itself can sometimes, you know, cause a lot um, of, of issues, especially within the body. Um, and so I kind of laughed when I was putting this together because, um, when we think about, you know, what the body kind of goes through and the symptoms that can come out of it, it sounds like, you know, the, uh, the disclaimer of every uh, pr prescription medication commercial that we see where it seems like for 10 minutes they're listing all of the side effects. Um, 
because, and I wanted to list it out here too, because um, when we think about this, um, that long-term health consequences uh, can sound something like this. Lightheadedness, nausea, headaches, dizziness, depression, weight gain, weight loss, uh, rapid heart rate, chest pain, high blood pressure, stomach aches, diarrhea, loss of appetite, vomiting, constipation, uh, poor immune system resulting in easily getting sick. It can make complications um, that are already pre-existing uh, in a diagnosis even worse. So if you have um, um, asthma, it can make it seem worse. If you have COPD, it can make it worse. Um, and then, oh, it jumped ahead of me. Um, but we have that high blood pressure, that chest pain, the poor immune system, but then the muscle tension, the insomnia, the social isolation, and nightmares. So not what you want, right? Like this is not, I would hope that we would all say this is not what God intended for us. You know, this is what our body goes through. Remember, it is broken. It is still the flesh. It is still, you know, affected by that original sin. And so we are then again, you know, at that place where we still need it to work for us. We still need it to be in line. We want it to be healthy so we can then utilize um, you know, or we can go through stressful times and not be completely stressed and not be to where a, a true diagnosis um, of a disorder comes with the impairment of, you know, so we don't just say, well, you know, you're, you seem anxious, so you must have anxiety. That's not how that works. You know, you seem sad, so you must be depressed. You know, you must have depression. No, that's not how it works. It has to have in some type an impairment to your daily life. Uh, so that's how we start to diagnose this. And then we, we start to kind of look at what is the longevity of these, um, of these uh, disorders or these symptoms, you know, because if they match a certain longevity, then that helps to put us in one category and another. It helps us to lean towards one diagnosis over the other. Um, and so this is kind of the, the picture of what our brain goes through and our body goes through. As I was reading through those things, and we were going through what the brain goes through, did anybody feel within themselves their anxiety rays? You can just go like this. Yeah. Remember, you could be here for, you know, a family member. You know, did it raise in them? Um, <laughs> that's your out, all right? So you can go, yeah, I can participate because it's for my family member. But... I mean, this is oftentimes what happens. You know, we start to, to think about these symptoms. We start to hear about these symptoms. And it's almost like we relive these symptoms over and over and over. You know, and so when you came in, you had your Chick-fil-A, you know, maybe you had a drink and got to talk with people out in the, the hallway. And you felt pretty calm coming in here. Then I mess your world up by talking about all of the things that your body goes through when trauma hits. You know, but... Again, this is what happens within our nervous system when uh, it starts to feel kind of overwhelmed. You start to relive and refill. So we just kind of shattered a little bit. We kind of shook that frozen network system up and a little bit of those emotions started to kind of come forth. And so when I kind of think about kind of fear, anxiety, um, and insecurity, one of the things that it reminds me of is Wizard of Oz. Anybody like Wizard of Oz? We used to watch it a lot as a kid. Um, and so that, uh, that scene in Wizard of Oz where Scarecrow and Dorothy and Tin Man are, are walking through kind of the spooky th forest and 
they begin that kind of chant, right? Like, lions and tigers and bears. Here we go. We got people. Lions and tigers and bears. Lions and tigers and bears. And then the roar of the lion, right? Roar! And it breaks the chant. All to find out that the thing that they feared the most was actually more afraid of them than it was than they were of it, right? Um, and so when we think about these fears, anxieties, one of the things that it reminds me of, especially when we start to talk about, like, what is the or origin of some of these uh, symptoms? Um, and that's kind of what I wanted to kind of get into when we kind of move into, well, what's the spiritual response? You know, because when we look at uh, Genesis chapter 3, we get a picture of where kind of that first kind of symptom kind of came from. And so if you, you can remember, you know, here's Adam and Eve. They are given kind of this amazing blessing to walk with God, to listen to him, to hear him, to, to, to worship with him. You know, like they were given the, the duty to, um, to name the animals, to cultivate the garden. They weren't being, they, a lot of times we like to look at, you know, think of them as, you know, they've got their, you know, fig leaves and they're laying around the Garden of Eden and they're just chilling. You know, like, wouldn't that be awesome? Um, but no, they were given a duty. I mean, we were, we were given, you know, a charge. It's like even with the, with the disciples to go therefore and to make other disciples. God wants us to be workers, just workers for him. And of course, it wasn't what, you know, work is today. It's not like it's, you know, it was going to be, you know, hard and backbreaking and everything else, you know, because at that point, creation was working together. It was what God intended it to be. But we get this picture. So in Genesis chapter one, ver, uh, uh, chapter three, verse one, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say? And I did pause for dramatic effect. But did God really say, you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden. So now we go back to the pause. Did God really say? What he's doing there is he's planting the seed of doubt. But watch him grow it with the lie. Continuing on verse two. Of course, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. I often say this of Satan. He has no new tactics in his bag. He's not the original, you know, the, or, the, the, the person who or, uh, is original in how he attacks. You know, he kind of already takes what's already present. You know, he has nothing new. But also, too, why should he? His old tricks work. You know, this is a classic of Satan. You plant the seed of doubt, and you grow it with the lie. So my question for you guys, and this is part uh, participation. David already kind of set 
uh, the stage for this when he said, maybe you're not here for you. Maybe you're here for a family member or somebody bribed you with Chick-fil-A and CEUs. Um, but um, if, um, so that's your out. So when, we, when I have you guys talk and you guys say what um, it is that's on your heart and mind, um, we're not going to judge you, all right? There's no judging that goes on in this room. But what is the doubt that you have bought into? That's what I want you guys to think about. And we're going to label what this is. Okay, so somebody give me an example. What is a lie or a doubt that you have bought into or your family member has bought into? Not worthy. Yeah, I hear that one a lot. That's a good one. Anybody else? Brave enough. Yeah. Right. There's a, a sense of security loss, right? Yeah. Fear of getting fired? Yeah. Right. What other people think? Yeah. These are some good ones. Rejection, yeah. Definitely. Anybody else? What are some other doubts that maybe you've bought into? Yeah. Can he really do it? Yeah. For you. Right. Yeah. I, I've seen him ill others, but really, will, will he really heal me or my family member? Yeah. These are definite, you know, lies and doubts. Anybody else? I don't want to go too fast. Yeah? Can you give us an example to that? I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> and now everybody, nobody else is going to answer my questions. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah. The, the truth really won't set me free. Yeah. I mean, these are some my, these, these are some powerful doubts, you know, powerful lies. In counseling, we call this our negative cognition. This is the the lie you have bought into about yourself, about your situation. God might help other people, but He won't help me. You know, am I really worthy? Oh, I hear that one a lot. And so that's your, that's your negative cognition. And so when we're able to name our negative cognition, this is kind of what David was talking about. When we're able to actually name the negative cognition, now we have done what we call personified. We have, we have given it um, a human characteristic. We have brought it out of the sea of emotions and we have now put it front and center. And we said, here's my statement. I have been buying into the lie that I am worthless. I will be rejected. I don't really have security. I might get fired. Whatever that is, insert your doubt and fear here. And so now with 
this personification, now it becomes something that we can deal with. Because it's not just in the sea of emotions. Oftentimes, anxiety brings a lot of thoughts that swirl. You know, it kind of feels as if I can't grab hold of a single thought. And so, we just allow them to swirl. They overtake us. Our nervous system becomes overloaded. And it engulfs us. And so... When we think about this, it, it reminds me of 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6, that says this. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. This is a powerful skill to master. To take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. This brings in a model that I utilize often with my people. Um, I call it truth or trash. This is not something I originally came up with. We, we in counseling know this type of concept. You know, but we have to do this as single individuals. And I often teach it to my people that we have to learn to do exactly what scripture says, to take every thought captive and then make it obedient to Christ. So it leaves the question, how do we do that? It's easier said than done, right? Because again, I have a swirling sea of emotions and thoughts and how do I pick one thought and start to make it captive, and to start to make it obedient with Christ. So we're going to kind of walk through this uh, together, because I want you guys to grasp this uh, concept. But when we talk about taking every thought captive, we first have to know what we replace trash with. We replace trash with truth. And so, for one, we're going to have to line up what our trash is with the truth in order to know that it is trash. Because if not, we will continue to buy into it. Our picture of this comes from when Jesus was being tempted in the garden when he was taken in front of um, Satan and Satan started to tempt him. And this is where this comes from. So Matthew chapter four, starting in verse one. And I wanna read this for us. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter, Satan, came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. 
Jesus answered, it is written. Again, emphasized. How do we separate the trash from the truth? It is written. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and said to him, um, and, and he and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written. See, he wasn't already using that tactic until he saw Jesus use the tactic. Again, he's not the originator. He's trying to use the tactic against him. And so he tries to use scripture and says, oh, but it's written. He will command his angels concerning you and you will lift up and, and, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Then Jesus answered. He didn't change his tactic. It worked before. It's always going to work, really. It is written. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All of this will be given to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship him. He tried to he tried the, to, to plant the seed of doubt. Now he's trying to grow it with the lie. He's not doing a very good job of it. And Jesus answered, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him alone. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. There are 53 verses in the Bible that address anxiety alone. Here is my encouragement. Pick one, two, three, whatever it is that apply to your situation and you replace the trash with the truth because this is the very example that Christ gives us. So this thought that is plaguing me, I am not worthy. I'm a failure. I have no security. Whatever it is, insert your doubt here, the one you're buying into. Take that. Does it line up with scripture? I would already tell you this. If you're already doubting it, that's one thing. If you're already feeling uneasy because of its message, that's another thing. It, you're already, you know, two for two when we're looking at, is this a truth or is this a trash? Because God does not bring with him a feeling of insecurity. He does not bring with him fear. If anything, he is the order to the chaos. And so when we place that, tra that truth and we replace that trash with that truth, then I believe that our spirits will then acknowledge this is way calmer than I was before. This is a truth I can stand on. And so this is that example of what trash versus truth works and, and does. We have to take it captive. What is the one right now, the thought, the negative cognition that is disrupting my life? Let me take it captive. And then I've got to weigh it with the truth. So I need to know the truth. Because if you know the truth, you know the God 
who wrote the truth, okay? And so this comes into our personal relationship with God. And I know I've eaten up a lot of time, but I want to know because I was going to ask David to define for us what he believes or who he believes God is because that's fundamental when we're talking about truth versus trash. Who is God to you? And I'm going to say it this way, and I, and I explained this to David. It's not subjective. When I say to you, it's not like in the current society that we live in, what is your truth? No, no, no. There's one truth. And that is the, the truth of Scripture. But who you believe God is will have ramifications within your life. And so we have to ask ourselves, who do I think God is? Again, I then put that up against the backdrop of what Scripture is. Is it full? Is it complete? Is it true? My view of God. If not, I need to change it to align itself with Scripture. So, David, when we talk about who is God, who do you believe God is to you? Well, and before I answer that question, I kind of want to back up just a little bit and be able to reiterate kind of some, something that you said. The, uh, the way we view Scripture is equally as important, if not more important. It's the, it's, the, it's the first step to understanding who God is. And you see why the world attacks the validity of Scripture and the inherency of Scripture. Um, but that's not the only attack on that, because if, if, if we can distort truth, the enemy can distort truth, then there's really nothing to compare the trash to, right? Um, and so it's not just, the attack isn't just like, is the Bible true? But what I find when I'm counseling a lot of people is, are you able to actually understand it? So like, okay, you may believe that the word is true, but every time I open my Bible, like, I don't get anything out of it. Like, it's too, I don't understand it. Like, I'm not spiritual enough to be able to understand the truths that are in there. So then what we do is we rely on our YouTube pastors and our Instagram theology and these things, and that's where we get into trouble. And then again, as soon as the authority of Scripture is torn down, now you have nothing to compare the trash to, okay? So that's a good question to ask yourself because I just want to tell you, if you've been born again, if you have uh, been given the Spirit of God that has regenerated you from the inside out, you have everything you need to be able to understand Scripture. Everything you need. The same power, the resurrected God from the grave lives in you. The Holy Spirit comes in you, and it has the ability to reveal all truth to you. We read in our Being Transformed journals a couple, a couple days ago that Jesus says, it's good that I'm leaving because I will spend, send the Spirit to you. And the Spirit will be able to remind you of all the things that you've learned. So I think for most of us in here, we go, yeah, the Bible's true. I believe that. Like, I know there, there are some things that smarter people than me have researched these things, and I trust them, and, I, and I've seen the Word work in my life, and I believe that the Word says, uh, what the Word says about God is true. But we start to doubt our ability to understand it. So uh, the reason I say that is, is that we look for quick fixes. We all do that. Um, there's a problem. We want a quick fix. So you might go, okay, I've got this anxiety. What's the quick fix? You know, maybe you come to a worship night and you hope that by the end of the night, you're not anxious about this thing anymore. Or you come for altar ministry and you go, I've got this fear. It's crippling. I can't sleep at night. And we come forward for prayer. And then we just hope that's over, uh, overnight. The, what, what, what breaks, uh, what brings breakthrough in your life 
is not this powerful moment. I mean, sometimes God moves like that miraculously, but very rarely have I seen that take place and the individual not to have some type of revelation of who God is or, or a, a, a verse in the Bible. Like usually the revelation is the thing that brings the breakthrough. So it's important to read your, read your Bible, understand your Bible. If you start, because here's what's funny about that repetition of, of the lies. Like I'm not spiritual enough to be able to understand what the Bible says. Well, if you believe that, then it will become true because then you'll never read your Bible. You know, and then you're just stuck. You're like, oh man, look, it's true. Like, I'm just a fake Christian. Like, I'm just such a baby Christian. Like, I, I can't do the things that, I can't be like Pastor Josh or Pastor Sarah. Like, I can't be like them. Well, listen, what's working in them is it's the word of God working through their life. And so we got to go to the word and we got to consistently go to the word. And that's got to be your first truth or trash. It's like, okay, the Bible is what God says it is. I'm going to let the Bible define itself. It is the breathed word of life. It's profitable for separating uh, bone and marrow. It does all the things that the word says it does. And then through there, we learn who God is because God is not Um, God is not this cosmic being that is separated from you and doesn't care about you uh, on a, on a small scale. Um, most of the time, what I find with people is that they have a really hard time and I need to have a really hard time, um, consolidating the fact that God is both a cosmic being, um, that, that, that holds the universe in its hands and understands the complexities of every star and, and the ratios of atoms and, and, and carbons and all the things in the universe. But at the same time, it's a God who knows my name, who knows every hair that is on my head. Like these are, this is the Bible. I'm telling you, like God loves you. And so the first step is understanding that God loves me. God is a loving God. Okay. How does he love me? We, we, we see this uh, expressed a couple times. God loves me, and that love is manifested through the love of a father. God loves you like a father, a good father, a perfect father. Maybe you have a bad father. God is a good father. He's better than Tim Allen in Home Improvement. Like God is the best father that you could ever possibly have. God is a good father. God is also a good mother. Now, that's kind of weird for us to say. But in the Bible, in Genesis, when, it, when, when God says that these are made in my image, make them, make them in our image, it says man and woman, which shows you that God has both a paternal side and a maternal side. So that's marriage. Like when we come together, we actually become the complete image of God. So God cares for you like a mother. Like God cares for you when you hurt. Like when my boys trip and they fall down, I'm the one that's going, I'm laughing at them, you know? Kaylee's like rushing beside them like, are you okay? You know, like, let me check on you. Like God, God's not, God's not just the, you know, your, your dad being a little league coach, like rub some dirt on it, move on, swing harder, keep your eye on the ball. Like he, he's also the parent that comes alongside you and encourages you and like says, Hey, I love you. Even if you stink at baseball, like I, I, I'm here for you. Look, look, I provided oranges. I brought oranges to the game. Like God is way more complex than just a, a father figure. He's also a mother figure, but it's also, he says he's a brother. So he understands us and he shares. That's a very important distinction to make about Jesus, who's a part of the Trinity, is just as much God, is that God shared in all of our suffering. It says that he was anxious to the point in the garden that he swept blood. I have yet to see blood coming from my hands. So I have not experienced the magnitude of anxiety that that Jesus experienced in the Bible. And that also is a lie right there, because I think sometimes we go, I'm anxious and I'm walking in anxiety. There must be something wrong with me. No, you're human. Like you're a human being. So it's, it simplifies down to truth and trash. Who, what is truth? What is trash? And recognizing also too, 
that God, that this journey of life is not to try to capture this perfect state of safety and security and to be able to stay there and hide. Because if that were true, then we'd get saved and we'd go move to the mountains somewhere where it's, where there's still air conditioning, but where we don't have life. But life includes stressors. And, and I think an, an important distinction is to understand that some of the things that we walk through are to transform us into the thing that God has created us to be. And sometimes that includes discomfort. Okay, so let me, uh, let me walk through five stages of godly change. Sometimes these stages are shorter. Sometimes these stages are longer. The first one is this, broken. Brokenness is a prerequisite for a life change, any life change. Because if it ain't broke, why fix it, right? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. We have to first identify the fact that something's broken in me. A lot of times our fears and insecurities and, and anxieties are an indication of something being broken in us. So something must be broken. Um, the second thing is this, is then we have to be crushed. And I'm going to use the example of a potter creating a pot. Um, we, the Bible says that we are like clay in the hands of a potter, that God's fastening us and, and, and forming us into something beautiful and useful and valuable, okay? So first, if you're going to make clay, the first thing you got to do is you got to find rocks and you got to break them down. You got to break them down into dust. Then you got to crush them. Uh, ironically, the journey to being remade and restored and renewed starts with being crushed. We have to have our old thought patterns crushed. Sometimes we need relationships to be crushed. Sometimes we need habits to be crushed. There's a crushing that takes place. Sometimes we need our ego to be crushed. Like you need community. Like you will never be free isolated. And so until you go through the crushing experience of of, of confessing um, a fear and an anxiety and a mistake to a brother or a sister until you go through that process of being crushed, your ego is going to stand in the way of your freedom. And so there's, some, there's a crushing that needs to take place. Uh, the, the Bible says the, the anointing breaks the yoke of bondage. Okay, uh, anointing in the Bible is, just, is usually um, uh, alluded to with oil. And the way you get oil is you take olives and you crush them. So sometimes in the crushing of our life is when God produces the anointing to be able to be effective in this world. Like we have to not shy away from the crushing, not shy away from the uncomfortable. And we're, we're in a process here to freedom, okay? So crushed, and then we have to be molded, okay? So I, I said we were going to use the example of a potter um, uh, making something out of clay myself. Um, you can't, um, this is why we don't use these mics anymore in the auditorium because we kept muting ourselves while we were singing. Um, if you're going to make um, a clay, and I'm doing this based on research, I've never made a pot before out of, out of clay. I've never been in a pottery class, but I, I, this is how it works. You can't use dry dirt. You've got to use, um, you've got to use moist dirt, moist clay. Okay. I, I say this because I think a lot of us, after we're crushed in life, we tend to get bitter and dry. When you're bitter and dry, you can't make anything out of that. You, you just get stuck where you are. And we go, man, my dad hurt me, and he was, and he said these things over me. And we stay in this sta this this station of being crushed, and, and we get bitter and we get hard hearted. But but Jesus says that I'm the well of life, 
And all who come to me that and drink are satisfied. Like uh, allow the love of God and allow the revelation of Jesus and allow the word of God. The the word the Bible talks about washing washing um, in the water of the word, washing yourself in the water of the word. Like allow that to come. Allow the word to come and soften your heart again. So then it can be step three molded. Once reduced to the point of wanting nothing more than the potter's touch, you are ready to be molded. Like it takes a a a submission on your part to go okay god i'm not enough like again we went to some of these insecurities like i'm i'm uh, this fear of not being enough that is absolutely true you are not enough i'll just tell you right now you are not enough to do x y and z You're you're not enough to do those things but power of god working inside of you you are enough like god is it like we we were always designed to get our source from him right so so then we have to submit ourselves to the hands of the potter that's part of not being dry and and, and not being hard-hearted and go god have a soft heart show me where i'm missing it show me how i see things the right way we're molded and then we're refined you got to take that 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 molded pot and you got to put it through some fire it's got to be tested once the once our new characteristics begin to take form you're moved into a season of intense heat number five you're filled um, once you're taken off the potter's wheel, you're never alone. Like, I, I recognize this. Your purpose in life, again, is not just to be healthy and whole. Um, if that were the case, then we'd get saved and God would zap us up to heaven, beam us up to heaven, uh, Star Trek style. We are we're called to be reborn and born again and, and being transformed in the image of Christ to fulfill a purpose in this world. So your brokenness needs to be repaired, not just for your happiness. And I think that's where we miss it sometimes is we go, I'm not happy and I want to pursue happiness. And these things are causing anxiety. These things are causing fear. Like that pursuit of happiness is always a pipe dream unless there's purpose and destiny behind it and that purpose coming from God. So we got to go, okay, now what has he made me into? So then I can walk those things out. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, so we've already kind of talked about what the brain goes through, what the body goes through. We've talked about um, the the tactic that the devil uses, you know, the, 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 the planting of the seed of doubt, growing it with the lie. We've talked about how to replace truth with this trash. Some of the other things that we kind of talked about is learning to fall in love with God's word. You know, as David said, you know, not just, you know, making it, you know, just that we know a scripture, that we believe the truth of that scripture. That's when it comes alive. Um, and then also surrounding yourself with good, godly people, people that will reinforce the positive cognition. You are worthy. You are not a failure. And so, um, and I mean, here at, at, at New Song, we have, you know, especially for us guys, we've got our tribe groups, we've got, you know, for the women, we've got their, his groups. This is a great opportunity, you know, to get with a group that can help to reinforce the godly message that we as individuals need, you know, that now, I bribe mine with breakfast, and so, you know, I don't know what you guys do, but it's it's pretty good, isn't it, Brady? And so, uh, there you go. I said, I'm feeding you. 
This, this, this month, it's going to be, I said, we're having the meat sweats. It's going to celebrate the end of the fast. And I said, come, men, we're eating meat. <laughs> the meat sweats, bring it. But, I mean, this is our opportunity to grow together as, as men. Um, and so we take uh, that very seriously, our, our food, too. We take that seriously. Um, but also, too, like, I would very much encourage you to find a mentor, you know, somebody that um, you can grow um, with because you see how they live. You know, so there are some prerequisites, I like to put some prerequisites kind of to this, because we want to find somebody that's older, that's wiser, um, definitely is the same sex as you. I think that's huge. <laughs> um, and, you know, someone that's been in the faith a long time, you know, that they've, they've walked a life um, with God, and so they can help to to uh, mentor you through that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, when it when it comes to that, uh, I think the obvious ones are like, okay, who's our pastors on staff? You know, what about Pastor Josh and Pastor Sarah? I wonder what their availability is. It's it's light is what their availability is. It's not very much. Um, mentors can can look very different than you. Like I have a few in my life that speak to different things. Um, uh, I have I have somebody in my life that really mentors me in the way I parent my kids, um, but then also like my dad is my mentor in the way that I pastor. My dad's been a pastor for a long time. He's 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 worked in the ministry. He understands what I'm going through. He he knows my and then also too I'm honest. So your your uh, benefit from community and mentorship and discipleship is 100% based on your transparency. Um, we like to come in and go, Hey, here's the things I'm working on. How can I continue to be better at the things that I'm already kind of good at, <laughs> you know? Um, but you need to see them more like a personal trainer who like knows, okay, you stink at squat. We're going to go to the squat rack, be able to call you out on some stuff and, 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 and don't play around. Like don't waste people's time. Like if you want a mentor and you come to somebody and you go, Hey, I, I, I'd love to, I'd love to meet with you. I love the way that you're, you parent. I love the kind of father you are. I love, um, I love the kind of confidence you walk in or all these things, be able to honor their time and respect their time. Um, a couple of ways. One, bring your questions. Like they don't know why you're there, you know? So bring your questions. The second thing that I'd say is, um, make sure that you do what they're asking you to do. They're not a sounding board for you. That's what your peers are for. Your peers are for like, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. Like, you know, and you kind of talk it out. That's what peers are for. Mentors are for, hey, this is what I've decided to do. What do you think? And, and also, what should I do? Because you know me better than me and you've got a better perspective than me. Does that make sense? I just want to clarify that because that's like a word that we, we buzz around and like community and all this stuff. But like I've seen people's marriages fall apart and they've been doing on the surface level, all the things that they're supposed to do, but what you find is that there is actually no transparency and authenticity. Like even even if if you get to the end of this class and a lot of these things that maybe you you may go, okay, I think the anxiety I'm dealing with, I think I've got the solution. But you may go, you know what? I think I need professional help, and that's totally cool. I've gone to counseling before; it's been great. But what you will get or won't get out of that, even with a professional counselor, he can't read your mind. And so like the transparency has to be like, hey, I'm messed up and here's where I am. Can you help me? Does that make sense? Okay. 
Um, and I mean, and to kind of piggyback on that, I mean, we when we're looking for a, a, a counselor, I mean, my encouragement is to find a Christ-following, biblically yes. affirming yes. counselor yes. that doesn't only know, you know, kind of the, you know, the techniques to use, you know, the the um, the full the the treatment process, but one that will affirm God's presence and God's power in your life as well. Um, but you have to be upfront with them too. I want this a part of my counseling, you know, because we have rules and, 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 and regulations. So we can't assume that anybody comes in just wants Jesus. So sometimes they're like, yeah, no, none of that God stuff. And so we understand that. Um, but you have to make that apparent. So yes, say, absolutely. I want all the God you can give me. Um, and I guarantee you, we will be very open for that. Um, and then, Learn more about what your body is going through. I mean, we kind of looked at that, that at the very beginning, um, you know, of, of kind of what our mind goes through, what our brain's going through, what then, you know, our, um, you know, our nervous system, what it goes through, you know, and so we see what the body's kind of going through. That's important because you can kind of see what's kind of coming if you kind of can feel it. My hands start to get a little shaky. I feel a little bit heaviness. I don't know if I can name the emotion, but I know something's going on with inside me. Those are precursors. And so we tune into that. Um, oftentimes in counseling, we go, let's, let's do a body scan. You know, let's, let's kind of take evaluation of what's going on inside the body. Where is your anxiety at? Oftentimes we can do exercises, you know, and different techniques to help relieve the stress or the anxiety that is in that specific area. Um, one of the things we were going to do was the emotional freedom technique, but I just don't think we have time. Um, so maybe invite me back. Maybe we can do it again. But can you guys thank Mr. Brandon? That was great. Big takeaways. Okay, big takeaways. Um, one, know the truth. The truth will set you free. Truth and trash. Truth and trash. Like everything, filter it through there. And then don't do it alone. Like find community. I know we I know we beat that that to the ground here at New Song, but it's because we believe it. Like don't walk through life alone and don't be alone in a group because you can be alone amongst people. Like be transparent. Find some people that you love and that love you and trust you. Um, and don't be afraid to go seek professional help. Like that's totally fine. Like that, I'm a pastor. I want to tell you that is totally fine. That does not mean that you're messed up. That means that the severity of your anxiety, your fear, it is is uh, at a point where you need professional guidance and help, and that is totally okay. All right, amen. All right, let, let me pray for you, Jesus. We love you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving. Go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.